Welcome into another episode of By Order of the Peaky Blinders, a podcast breaking down every single episode. And here in the offseason, we're trying to keep things fresh for this 1920s family gang drama on Netflix and BBC. I'm your host, Daniel Gilman, and we've got a guest host today with Josh on the disabled list. I'm joined by my brother, Michael Gilman. Michael, how you doing today? Good, good. It's a beautiful day out here in New York City. How are you doing today, Daniel? I'm great. We're uh, recording cross country. I'm out in California, Michael, in the great city of Manhattan. And so first question I'm going to ask you is how you got into this fantastic show, Peaky Blinders. It's actually a great question. Um, a little while back, probably two, three years ago, my brother, you, said to me multiple times, Michael, I guarantee you will love the show, Peaky Blinders. I know you're into sports, into betting. It's a show that you'll like. You'll love the main character, the plot, everything about it. And then to uh, compliment that, one of my good roommates said the same thing. We turned on once. We couldn't really get through the first episode. Then you kept trying to push through. Tell me, Mike, I promise you'll love it. We finally got through, started binging it, and uh, the rest is history. It's, it's perfect because it's the exact same style that myself and a lot of other friends that I know that watch the show. Because I don't know if your first time was without subtitles because mine was. And just the first 15 minutes, and I felt like I... I gathered maybe like 70, 60% of the words that were said. Did you, did you start with subtitles or were you, were you all in trying to just absorb the, the wild accents? We were all in and let me tell you something, it was tough to start. I mean, <laughs> we were watching it in our, uh, in our fraternity house, me and my roommates, and we would uh, sit back, try to close the door and even lock it so people couldn't come in and out because you know how reckless it gets. And it was tough, but uh, it was definitely a good thing to, to power through. I think subtitles are good every now and then, especially when you're watching on a small screen. But when it's on a really big screen sometimes, and we were on, I think, like a 70-incher, when it's on the really big screens, subtitles kind of distract you from watching the main show. So I'm personally not a big subtitle guy. Yeah, that's quite the humble brag there. I, I remember watching it for the first time on my iPad as I was traveling around. And it's, it's one of the only shows that I watch that's in English, that has subtitles. I think The Crown was another one, anything that's got accents. But if you just stumbled upon this podcast, I usually host it with my buddy Josh Levy. You can go ahead and catch any episode you want all over the place. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, on Facebook.com slash Peaky Podcast, on Twitter at By Order of Peaky. We did a full rewatch before season five, so every single episode, spoiler-free, if you're watching for the first time, this conversation between Michael and I will have spoilers. So make sure that you're caught up through five seasons, through the craziness with the Russians, through the Americans, and through Oswald Mosley. But if you want to start from the beginning, you can do so. If you want any bonus content, we're available on patreon.com slash by order of Peaky. So all you have to do is type that in. We'll be in the show notes. And for $5 a month, Josh and I produce one, two, three, four, five, sometimes six episodes a month of just off-season content, any new news. The awards just came out, and Peaky Blinders did an absolute killing in the international awards, especially out in the UK. And what we did is a spoiler-filled rewatch of season five, where we went through every single episode and dissected it, knowing how it finished. And so speaking of season five, Michael, what was your... Uh, what was your initial opinion 
of that season. Before we dive into what this episode really is, which is ranking our favorite non-Shelbys, but first let me hear what you think of the whole Oswald Mosley, the whole political plot, because you are more on the financial side of, of things while I'm more on the entertainment business. So for me, it might have been a little slower, but for you, you know, it might have been a little bit more your speed. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. I personally can't say it was my favorite season. I mean, I like some of the characters, but I, for one, was a big Michael fan. And so I didn't really like seeing him go on the other side and kind of rivaling Tommy throughout the show. So that was kind of hard for me to watch and to, uh, to digest it all. But, uh, but other than that, there were some ups and downs. Uh, I'm excited for, for the next upcoming season to see, uh, to see them coming to America and, uh, and getting pretty involved. Absolutely. And Josh, Josh and I continue to drive in the point to, to the skeptics that Stephen Knight, the creator, the showrunner of this show, has announced multiple times this is a part one of two. So you can't really take a look at what season five is until you wait and see what season six is. We just recorded a fantastic, fun episode on Patreon.com slash By Order of Peaky. We're talking about, I mean, Michael, how much is a cup of coffee in New York City? Like eight bucks? Yeah, it's expensive out here. So less than a cup of coffee per month to just listen to more episodes of this fantastic show where Josh and I just went through our wish list for which guest stars we want to be in season six. And Michael, I'm going to give a little tease. I would love to see someone like Brad Pitt be the rich uncle of Gina Gray or maybe someone like Benedict Cumberbatch come into the, the fold or an Idris Elba be a detective on the side because we know they're going to go to America, but you can't, you can't give up the fact that someone from the London PD or the detective agency is always going to be chasing the Shelbys, excited for season six. But now let's take a look and, uh, and really go through some of our favorites from the first five seasons. This episode is just going to be our favorite non-Shelbys. So no one that's related to Tommy, no one that's been married to Tommy or Arthur or John or Michael for that matter. None of that. We're going to have a separate episode as this off-season rolls on. It's going to be a long off-season. So we're going to try to fill the time as best as possible. So we'll have another episode and wait for some you know, listener feedback to hear your favorite Shelbys. But today, Michael, guest starring, will join me and going through each of our top fives, some honorable mentions, and our least favorite non-Shelbys in Peaky Blinders history. Michael, you ready for it? I'm ready to go, Daniel. Let's start us up. Who's your number five? My number five is a sexy, eye-grabbing, exasperating character that completely dominated the picture for an entire season, and it's Tatiana Petrovic, the duchess of whatever fake name you want to give it. She was, uh, she, she completely took over Tommy's brain and I think had many of the men and some of the women watching uh, titillated in, in, her, in her experience and so that's my number five. What'd you think of that whole Russian plot? Because we haven't had you on yet. This is your first appearance. Everyone's given me a different opinion of the season three that was confusing, yet uh, I think came together quite well. Yeah, for me personally, I mean, I, I've only watched the show once, so I didn't really go back and go into detail about the Russian plot and about stealing um, the jewels, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, but I do think it was kind of like darts thrown in the opposite direction of the overall overarching picture with um with a takeover and with everything going on in uh and the red arm that was called yep yep the right red hand yeah the right red hand it's uh 
It's interesting because season two, episode six, is a unanimous favorite between Josh and I. It's it's the race at Epsom. It's where Tommy is basically you know on the brink of death, and then Winston Churchill brings him back. And it is a little confusing how we've got the marriage with Grace to start season three, and then maybe the biggest shocking death outside of Game of Thrones, at least in my TV watching history. I don't know if 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 Grace's death came out of left field for you or not, but that season was uh the season was a complete shit show in the best way possible upon the rewatch. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean Grace's death was definitely something shocking to me, but uh but I I don't know. I mean, she did come back a lot in the next season as her ghost. So, you kind of it wasn't like she was gone forever, but uh but I I think it was necessary. It was a good part of the show. It shows Tommy's um willingness and ha- how should I say, just being that overall stud of a character he is to go and just get with the hottest of the hot. He can do what he wants when he wants to do it, and that just defines who he is. Yeah, Tatiana and her aunt showed that women you know, continue to have power in the show, and, and that's why I loved her so much. She manipulated, she maneuvered, she had that great line that talked about how the women in Russia or um, Georgia really had to uh, use their brains and their boobs, essentially, instead of their bronze and their guns. So Tatiana's my number five. Hit me with your number five. My number five is a good uh, good favorite for a lot of me and my friends. We like to, uh, to quote their number one song when they marching in. It's Jimmy McCavern, part of the good old Billy Boys. Okay, so we've got a little controversy here because I would say that Jimmy McCavern was one of my least favorite characters. But... Tell me why you liked uh, the leader of the Billy Boys and his uh, his eventual rise and fall in about, you know, an episode and a half. I think he was just uh, full of humor. When watching the show, it's a very dramatic, very suspenseful show. He would just come in very loud, outrageous, chanting his song. Hello, hello, we are the Billy Boys. Hello, hello, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, he, <laughs> he basically um, was able to come in. He didn't really. He seemed like he didn't really give a fuck. It was very reckless of a character. Clearly, by how easy he was taken over, how easy he was manipulated by Tommy, by the other side. It was just he was a very easy pawn. But uh, but he was uh, he was a fun time, and I liked when he blew up um, one of those camps. I'm pretty sure that was Abraham's camp, and uh, and he just comes in strong comes in not giving a fuck, kind of just throwing his dick out there and just saying, I'm Billy Kimber. I mean, I'm not Billy Kimber. I'm, uh, um... Jimmy McCavern. I'm Jimmy McCavern, and, uh, and this is what you're about to get. The Billy Boys. Yeah, you know what? You, you bring up a great point there in your miss, you know, your misspeak, because what we, we've had two major Billys in this show, and neither of them, as far as we know, are part of the Billy Boys, because obviously, Billy Kimber from season one, and then Billy Grade, who ended up being the rat in season, or, you know, as far as we know, the rat in season five, and he's the one that's the reason why Oswald Mosley's still alive. Yet, as far as we know, Billy Grade is not a part of the Billy Boys, and you talk about, you lead me perfectly into my number four, and we didn't rehearse this, I'll tell you that. Bonnie Gold is my number four. I loved Bonnie, another guy who really didn't have a lot of screen time, but every time he was up there, his huge fight to culminate season four, David versus Goliath. I just really, really was upset to see Bonnie go. I later found out that, and we talked about this on the Patreon episode a couple weeks ago, found out that Bonnie left to similarly as uh, Freddie Thorne left 
to pursue other TV shows. He wanted to be the star of a show instead of a background character in, you know, a huge show. I don't, you know, Jerry's still on whether that's a good decision from Bonnie Gold's actor, you know, the, the actor's name. But that's the biggest question mark as far as leading into season six. And I would love to know, Michael, who gave away the camp location of the Golds? Because we don't know that. I, I had a wild guess in, uh, in my season five recap a, a couple months ago that Esme was behind it because not many people could know where those nomads were going around and Esme hated Tommy. But aside from that, I'm not sure. There's not much to say about Bonnie Gold, but rest in peace to the, to the homie. Give me your number four. Yeah, so your number four actually parlays perfectly into mine as I love Abraham Gold. I don't think he's one of my top outside characters, but he has just played such a crucial role in the entire series. And he's one of the outside characters that, uh, that has been very involved in not just one or two seasons, but pretty much the entire show. And, uh, and him being the gypsy, very mischievous, him helping Polly out when she needs to, to save Michael, and him always having that one true crush and eventual love for, for Paul. So I think he is my number four. Yep, gotta love anytime Aiden Gillen is on anything, you know, Littlefinger or the mayor from The Wire, he's phenomenal. And just to see him pop up, Aiden Gillen, Tom Hardy, and and the the phenomenal um, Patty Considine, as well as uh, as well as Luca Changretta, um, blanking on the pianist actor's name right now, embarrassingly. But it's, this show just continues to come in with powerhouses. And that's why Josh and I had a great time talking about any of the A-listers that could pop up in season six. It's it's really anyone's guess because this show continues to gain traction. It was voted in IMDb's top 10 shows of 2019, voted by the fans. So it's clear that this is a fan favorite. Abarama was great. And Michael, we always we will always have Abarama's quick trigger to thank for the reason that Arthur Shelby's still alive. Because you know why? Remind me, Daniel. Ah, this is fun. So if not for the fact that Abarama Gold was a two-pump chump during the, the Dance of the Swan, then Linda would have shot and killed Arthur. But, nope, Polly got out there right in time because their, their you know, little post, uh, post-coital session did not take too long after the engagement and Polly saying yes to the betrothal. And so Polly was able to shoot Linda in one of the uh, bigger nitpicks of the season, because we're still not sure how Linda didn't kill her and how Polly's just A-OK. But we have Abarama to thank for that. Now we get to, uh, I think, the biggest... I think the biggest fan favorite of a show in a cult way outside of Hodor from Game of Thrones. And Michael, my number three is the impenetrable, the unshakable Curly. Wow. Curly, he's a great guy. He's one of those characters that you just enjoy seeing. I mean, whenever he would come up, it's just, it brings a smile on your face. Any, any comment he's making, whether it's about Polly walking around barefoot or Tommy working. Remember when Tommy had to shovel all of that stuff and Curly's yelling to Charlie Strong, Tommy's gone mad. Tommy's doing all this shit. And, and just every comment he makes, along with Johnny Dogs, who's my number two, Curly and Johnny Dogs are the comedic relief for the show. Because I, I really can't say that there's many other characters that every line is a joke. Maybe a little bit of Alfie Solomons, who we'll get to in, a, in, in later, clearly high on our lists. 
but I think the comedic relief among the supporting characters are the reason why we're making an episode like this, because they make us laugh, they make us cry. The reason why Curly and Johnny Dogs are still alive, probably, because we've seen so many characters go by the wayside, but I doubt Stephen Knight could write off those two gems. Yeah, no, definitely I agree with you. My number three is Johnny Dogs, as I think he plays a crucial role with Curly and always being there for Tommy, helping out Tommy, and throwing in some funny one-liners when, when you need it most. No doubt. Adrian Brody, by the way, I just had to peek that in. It popped into my head. Adrian Brody plays Luca um, Changreta, so that's that's awesome. Johnny Dogs, oh, nothing beats Johnny Dogs, Michael. I mean, when he's living in paradise on uh, on Tommy's front yard, it reminds me of uh, Leon from Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's just kind of like living off of the greatness of the guy that he befriended, right? And, and Johnny Dogs is just living his best life every single step of the way. Yeah, he's always happy, and he always accepts whatever Tommy asks him to do, even if he knows there's a 99% chance that he might be killed in action. He'll do it. He'll say yes, and he'll end up making a way to uh, to help out everyone involved. He's a really smart character at the same time of him being just a role player because at the end of the day, role players are really important in these shows. They, they make them... Uh, how they make they make the show really turn into greatness. I mean, that's why we're doing this episode, is it not? But uh, but going back on to what you were talking about in Adrian Brody, that's my number two. And I think uh, he could be one, one of my favorite characters in the entire show, and that's Luca Changretta. Luca has that unbelievable accent, the accent that you just want to have when you're talking to a girl. You just want to walk up to her with that thick Italian accent and be able to just impress her saying one or two words. That is the definition of Luca Changretta. Oh, no doubt about it. The suave, the confidence, the swagger. He waits. In the, the, the seconds that he takes between talking, everyone's on the edge of, uh, you know, the edge of their seat. Everyone in the scene, all of his, you know, right-hand men are great actors because you can tell they're nervous around their boss. And then when they turn on him, everyone's got that smile watching at home because you're finally like, get this piece of shit out of here, save the day, fuck yeah, Alphonse Capone, whether he's brought up in season six or not, I'd love to see something come back around with the whole Changreta group, because I'll tell you what, Luca's number one guy, I really liked him, you know, the, the dude that was complaining about getting skinny because all the food in, in Birmingham was shit, and it wasn't like his mama's cooking. Yeah, he couldn't eat any of it. My favorite, and Luca says, suck it the fuck up eat the tea and, and, and cakes, and do your shit. We're out here to kill. Now, I will say Luca Changretta was not very good at his job, Michael, and, and he, was a, he was great. I think he was the best villain so far. Oswald Mosley is going to put up a, a great competition, and if Oswald can, can put together a good season six, then he'll probably take the crown. But in this show, and we'll get to it in a little bit with our least favorites, the villains have not been up to par as well as Luca Changretta was up to par. And, and if we take a look at some of these Sixth Men of the Year awards, if you want to, you know, converse it with the NBA, I think Johnny Dogs probably takes it home, but the villain of the year is hands down Luca Changretta. Yeah, Daniel, for me, the reason why he's my number two and the reason why he's my favorite villain isn't just because of his accent and because of his swagger that he walks, but for the entire reason of him bringing him and all of his, uh, his Italian New Yorkers all the way overseas is just for the vendetta. He has a clear vendetta. He has the bullets out. He needs to make the killing himself. He doesn't want anyone else to do it. Very old fashioned, very back in the early 1900s. 
and it all goes back to uh, correct me if I'm wrong to Arthur correct not killing um, his father I think it was Vincente Changreta correct yeah let me correct you so it was them not killing the mother and the mother going back and and ratting on it they actually Arthur did kill the father in mercy because Tommy was so upset with Grace's killing, which was in retribution for the uh, slicing out of Angel Changretta's eye, which is what John did out of jealousy, which is so funny. It all comes so full circle. So John wanted to marry Lizzie, but Tommy didn't let it happen because he wanted to prove that Lizzie was still a whore, which later Lizzie obviously gets married to Tommy. So John then watches Angel Changretta, the son of Vincente, and the brother of Luca watches Angel get with Lizzie, and then John cuts out the eye of Angel. John disrespects Vincente and his wife, and then even though his wife was a teacher of John and Arthur when they were kids, but then they show mercy and let the wife go back to New York, and the wife pretty much says they shouldn't have done that, so then they send the black hand to start season four, and that's how the, the whole thing comes full circle, and I think the Luca Changretta... Um, just whole plot was so well manufactured by Stephen Knight, and it's a great it's a great number two for you, Michael. He was going to be in my honorable mentions, but when I saw that we'd be able to talk about him when he was in your top five, it, it made me happier that we could spend some more time talking about the the Luca Changretta. And I'm sure that the people in London that are watching, because we have a huge huge UK audience here on the pod, and we thank you guys so much. That is a pretty solid New York accent. Now, Gina Gray's accent is trash. So if you want to know what a New York accent sounds like, listen to Luca, not Gina Gray. And so now it's time for us to get to our number one, Michael. Our number one, I think it's the same, right? Yes, it is the same. I know there should be some dispute and some controversy, but at the end of the day, there's just one character throughout the entire show that you just were excited when he walked in the room. You were excited when he talked, when, when he was able to just present himself, his, uh, his character flaws, what should I say, and his uniqueness. And, uh, and you, can, uh, you can carry it away. Yeah, you love to hate him. You hate to love him. I was a, a firm believer that he was never dead. And then he comes back in the pearly gates of Margate. Tommy takes care of his dog, the, the, the impenetrable Cyril. And now... We have to just give the, the, the fucking stage to the great, the Jewish, the boss, Alfie Solomons. It's fucking biblical, mate. And I can't, I mean, I can't do it justice to Josh's fantastic impersonation of Alfie. But, I mean, some of his lines are just the greatest quotes of all time. When he goes after Arthur late in season four, when he comes in in season five and just gives Tommy the speech about his dream and essentially telling the tale of what we see in the final scene of the season with the black horse and Tommy pulling the trigger or not pulling the trigger, it's it's just the best. His Passover scene, Michael, for, for at least for Jewish people too, connects in a different way when he tricks Arthur and regains. The biggest flip-flopper in TV show history that people don't hate, right? I, I, can't, I can't think of another person that has as penetrable and as flexible of a spine as Alfie Solomon's, yet he is not hated. It's it's unbelievable, and Tom Hardy just does the greatest job ever. He really does, Daniel. And let me just say, like, even with him being extremely flexible and, shall you say, a flip-flopper, he always does respect Tommy. He knows after the first few encounters 
the balls that Tommy has, and uh, and I think it plays a great a great role in how great of a character and a relationship between the two characters have. It's it's interesting because you know he always feels like I, I've been saying for the while that the two are best friends. It's it's Tommy's only best friend. Johnny Dogs is a little bit more of a pet, and you know he'll do whatever he wants and he'll do whatever Tommy says. But Alfie is his best friend, and for him to have to shoot him in the face had to hurt, and that's why he went on that golf spiral where he tried to play golf for a little bit, but it didn't work quite well at the end of season four. Alfie even warned him in the in the David versus Goliath episode of the season four finale. He's like. Big fuck small. There's always a fight going on between big and small, and big will fuck small. And he's warning him. He's like, big came, and he fucked me. And so now I have to fuck you. And even though David is going to beat Goliath because the, you know, the, the boxing fight was, was fixed, he's like, Tommy, something bad's going to happen. And I smuggled in these Changretta guys. And, and Tommy didn't quite catch his drift, but you can see as, as an onlooker, we can see that he was warning him. And that's why I will have unwavering love for Alfie Solomons. He sent all the Jews to the Nazi rally in the time of need in, in the end of season five. And he showed that he can always, at the end of the day, be relied on. So there's our number one. Let's go over a few honorable mentions, Michael. My first is going to be Sergeant Moss. Sergeant Moss had a lot of uh, screen time in the beginning of the seasons. And, and he was, you know, obviously the right-hand man to Inspector Campbell trying to, you know, adhere to both the Peaky Blinders and the law. But at the end of the day, I think he kind of drove himself mad. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was in a sane asylum because he got so crazy, along with another um, honorable mention I have, and it's Barney, who didn't have a lot of time on the screen. But it's fucking Wednesday. Yeah, Daniel, I definitely respect your mentions. Um, I think they're, they're important players in the show. Definitely not six men award worthy enough. But, uh, but for me, my few honorable mentions are Billy Kimba and the entire racetrack and him owning the racetracks. And I, I just enjoyed everything that had to do with the horse racing and the corruptness and the bookmaking and that ent- the entire nine yards there. And additionally, another one of my honorable mentions I like to say is, uh, is Jeremiah. I was always a fan when Jeremiah would, uh, would be part of the group, um, having that just one token black eye, even in the early 1900s in a very um, prestigious white family, I should say, as they started growing. Um, He was always there, always to be counted on, kind of similar to Johnny Dogs. Didn't have as much of a speaking role in the show, but uh, he was always there to do what needed to be done. Oh, no doubt about it. These guys are the ones who will come in at the end of the game. They'll take one three, and if they make it, the bench goes crazy. Not sixth men, but they're the GPA boosters. Jeremiah was phenomenal. Um, his son, Isaiah, ends up you know, growing into, into quite the role. And I think we could even see Isaiah be more of a supporting character in season six. But we'll see. Jeremiah Jesus, one of the goats. Um, we've got a few honorable mentions there. I want to go into our least favorite quickly because there are so many. But I don't think I hate anyone more than Father Hughes. The fucking worst character the most hateable and patty constantine he's such a legendary actor he does such a good job making you hate him oswald mosley and sam claflin playing him does a good job but i don't think there's anyone worse than than father hughes michael what do you think i agree with you i mean uh that entire i'd say few episodes where he was pretty relevant uh i, I you always knew it was bad things happening uh 
it was it was excited to see him go. I uh, I definitely agree that he was one of my least favorite as well. And then my other one, and it's just for for big peaky heads for this podcast, and it's the it's the anti-Semitic, the racist, the snobby, the twat, otherwise known as Carl Thorne. Carl Thorne was absolutely the uh, the epitome of a snot-nosed brat, Michael. And it's uh, it's Ada's child for those that that might necessarily not listen to all of our episodes and we just hate him he hates ben younger he doesn't like black people he doesn't like jews he might end up being uh you know one of the followers of hitler in a few uh a few years i don't think he might i think he 100 percent would rise to uh <laughs> to some very high level of the hitler right i think that he's a terrible character in the show um i think it's it's good to have him because it's important to have characters in the show that you just like hate with all your might it kind of makes the show what what it's worth but uh but i definitely agree that carl is someone that i was always confused about and never really knew where he was who he was coming and then he comes in and just is, is a despicable character for me um a few of my uh dis- dislikes are um are freddie thorne i think that uh that freddie thorne was a uh, I thought he was going to be more active in the show. He was in the, it was in the, I think just the first season where he died out. Um, him with Ada and just getting, he was one of the people that like Tommy really didn't need to deal with. He was kind of just like a thorn in, in your back. And he was just trying to get into the political turmoil at the beginning of the show. Kind of really showing what it's all about. But uh, I just personally wasn't a fan about him. I know other people were. And uh, and additionally, another one of my uh, another one of my least favorite characters was uh, was Darby Sabini. Uh, Darby Sabini, just in my opinion, ah Sabini. Sabini, he could have been great. He could have been great, like Luca Cengretta, but he just didn't have that token Italian accent that you really want to hear from your villains. He was almost like a, just like a bad villain. And I think I think Stephen Knight wanted him to be a bad villain. But like he just wasn't a good bad villain. He was just terrible. I don't know if you agree with me, Daniel. He just had. I mean, he was. I thought he was okay. He wasn't terrible. He was just okay. I just think he had the worst Italian British accent ever created. I didn't even know that was a thing until um, Noah Taylor, the name of the actor, decides to uh, to whip it out. And I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna see if I could blow your mind the same way I blew Josh's mind. Okay. So Darby Sabini, the actor that plays him is in Game of Thrones. Okay? Okay, I'm here. Do you have any idea who he might be? Absolutely none. He was the guy who cut off Jamie Lannister's hand. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I remember. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. The kind, yeah, of, yeah. The kind of snooty, kind of wow, annoying. Yep. Really funny. Yep. Kind of a, a mixture of both of our worlds, our two favorite shows, at least for Josh and I. Is there a... Is there a show that you would put up in the upper echelon with Peaky Blinders, or is it for you also Game of Thrones? So I'm not the biggest, uh, the biggest TV watcher. Me personally, I just love uh, Peaky Blinders. I can really relate to other people when I start speaking about it. Uh, I think Peaky Blinders goes uh, goes far and far without doubt the number one show that I, I have on TV. I mean, I think Game of Thrones was a great show. It obviously had all the character plots, had all the different scenes, and all, had all the deaths that you would not expect. But, uh, but I think Peaky just just falls more into my list of, uh, of what I want to see in a show. There we go. So that's our, uh, our wrap-up of our 
Favorite non-Shelby's, least favorite non-Shelby's. Let's run through our list one more time for me. It's Tatiana, number five, Bonnie Gold, number four, Curly, three, Johnny Dogs, two, and Alfie Solomon's numero uno. What about you? For me, it was uh, Jimmy McCavern with the Billy Boys is five, Abraham Gold, four, Mr. Johnny Dogs, three, Luca Changreta, two, and the one and only Alfie Solomons as numero uno. So make sure to, to comment on Facebook or leave a review of who you guys think are your top five or top 10, whatever you want. Favorite non-Shelby's. Do you disagree with one of our picks? Let us know by commenting on facebook.com slash Peaky Podcast, tweeting at us at by order of Peaky, or sending us feedback via email at bootpeakyblinders at gmail.com. When Josh is finally out of his cave of studying for the uh, bar exam, we'll do a feedback episode because we've been uh, we've been getting a decent amount of good feedback and reviews on Apple. So make sure to review us, to rate us. If if we don't think we deserve five stars, let us know why. I cannot wait to dive more into our Patreon episodes. That's the one thing I'm able to grab Josh from. So if you want to hear Josh and I continue to diverge and divulge things throughout this offseason, go to patreon.com slash by order of Peaky. Click the link on the show notes. That's by order of the Peaky Blinders. He's Michael, I'm Daniel, and we binge so you don't have to.